Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Old Tom, the king of spring, Galberry Joe. No matter the name, his call resonates with hunters all across the United States. We're talking about the wild turkey, and this is the Talking Tom Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. This week's episode is Logan Holtz. This guy is a Stone Cold Killer out of Colorado. A couple years back, we had him on the show. And uh, we only talked Western hunting, I think, at that point in time. I don't think we really dove into turkeys. Uh, but this is all about Western turkeys. Merriam's, Rio's, how the strategy changes, how the gear needs change. And uh, this is a great episode. This is one of those guys that uh, I kind of wanted to lay a foundational episode where we talked about one specific general purpose dialogue and then maybe punch in in later episodes to make sure we get everything out of him that uh, he can provide us, which is a lot. This guy is packed with knowledge and he's very free with that knowledge, which is very inspiring. There aren't a lot of people who are willing to give out some of the stuff that he knows, uh, even if it's stuff that you might inevitably figure out quite quickly. And so I appreciate that to no end. And uh, I was happy he came on the show. Before I let y'all get to this episode, I just wanted to say uh, thanks to everybody thus far that's donated for our fundraiser who's bought calls. We've, uh, I'm, I'm still working on getting a current number, but don't forget that if you buy the shirt that's coming out uh, next week, the week of the 30th, I think, that'll be the, the last weekend of March or the first week in April, however you want to look at it. We, yes, yeah, the last weekend of March. We got a shirt that's going to come out for sale. The link will be in the show notes. All of those funds, the profits from that will be going directly to... Dr. Marcus Lashley and the science that he's trying to do. You can also click and buy a set of mouth calls. We will donate $5. Or you can donate directly to 
his fund as well. And all of that will get you entries. It's all based on the amount of dollars that you spend. We give you one entry per dollar into our big grand giveaway at the end of the season. I'm really looking forward to it. I know everyone is, and I know Marcus is really appreciative of all the feedback and the constructive support that we've been able to give him thus far. This stuff is vitally important, and we didn't know this when we started the podcast, but this is the direction that this is going. This is trying to, to raise money for a good cause, ways raise awareness and support for a good a good man doing good work to keep us in the turkey would so keep all that in mind as you listen to this episode we're not asking anything from you and we just uh we hope that you guys find value in this share it with your friends and help support our good friend dr disturbance so with that said guys here is logan holtz ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another riveting episode of the talking tom podcast i've got a guest here uh, that i think you guys are going to love hearing from this is you know the the goal of this little series here is to find guests you haven't probably heard of or guests that you have heard of but talk genuine you know some new avenue that you haven't heard and we've done a great job of that so far i think and tonight we have a guest that we last had on in 2018 which is good lord a decade ago uh at this point it feels that way and uh i don't think we talked turkey at all so this is the first time that I think I've ever heard this fellow on a podcast, and he's not going to burst my podcasting bubble and uh, tell me otherwise. But we've got the legendary Logan Holtz on the phone, dude. What's up, man? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm good, dude. I'm good. So we were chatting on the begin on on the beginning of this uh, in 2018. It might have been 2019, but I'm pretty sure it was 2018 when uh, you first talked to Chase. I had to bail that night because of a family emergency, and so we hadn't actually spoken. What in quite some time, and it wasn't until we had Foxtrot on that you popped up, and the Burris the Burris debacle popped up, and uh, I was like, "Oh, we got to get that guy back on." And then as you clicked in, I went, "Oh my god, I don't know this guy. Like, I've never looked at this guy before, or talked to this guy, you know." So there was like this little brief moment of of podcast performance anxiety, but it's it's gone now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, last time I was on, I think I talked to Chase, and it was primarily about big game and Western hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll have to actually go back and listen to that one. Cause I have done quite a few. So it's, a uh, it's, they <laughs> kind of blur together sometimes, but, um, yeah, I'm curious. I would be curious to, uh, to listen to the, the Fox pro one and who'd you have on from there? Bryce. Nice. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. Great guy, man. He was, he was a wealth of knowledge. You know, TSS was something that, um, I think was, it, there's like, a lot of people and a lot of information out there, but somehow every time in our Patreon group when turkey season rolls around, no, there's always like a group of guys who just haven't educated themselves, haven't you know, haven't found the need, or haven't just been exposed. And so I wanted to have him on to talk about it and kind of the origin story there. And he's a cool guy with a cool uh, background. And Bryce's Bryce, I cannot say enough about Bryce. Right, like he is the godfather of TSS, like a true OG in the turkey hunting woods. And I've had the I've had the opportunity to hunt with Bryce a few times, and in South Dakota, uh, I actually took him on his first uh, Western hunt for a Miriam, and I'm sure he told you that story. Yeah. <laughs> so listeners can tune into that podcast. That's the Burris debacle, I think you're referring to. But yeah, yeah, man, I cannot say enough about Bryce. Just a great guy to hunt with. He turned me on to some of like the original calling tactics. Right, he's the one who got, got me into calling with the trumpet, which I had never even heard of before. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's it's always really fun to hunt with somebody that has been doing something as passionately as long as, as Bryce has been turkey hunting. So. Yeah, man, absolutely. So 
I, I guess I want to start this off because it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show, obviously. Kind of give everybody a, a refresher. Like, who are you? How did you get to where you are right now? Wh- you know, how'd you get into the outdoors? Like, who give them the, 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 the elevator pitch? Yeah, man. So I grew up in north central Wisconsin um, and just grew up, you know, cutting my teeth, uh, hunting, trapping, fishing. I guided fishing trips for small, smallies and muskies um, through high school. Uh, you know, did I ran trap lines every day before school? You know, I'd go into put my waders in my locker, like most people that grew up in a rural area that loved to hunt and fish. And so I grew up with it. I grew up in a, a family that was like, I guess you could call it like subsistence type hunting. Um, we're never like chasing trophy deer or anything like that. It was more about like putting food on the table. And actually, I just did a really cool podcast on like my background on doing deer drives and stuff compared to a, a hunt that I just recently did in Germany. Um, and yeah, it was just cool to relive the past. But, you know, anyways, grew up in Wisconsin. I went to school at the University of, of Wisconsin. And the, man, school was so tough. Like I was just really ingrained in the business world. I got into the business school there. And I was just missing, you know, missing the woods, missing hunting and fishing so much. I did a little bit of it, but I really missed it. And then long story short, man, my senior year of college, it kind of, you know, I was like, where do I want to go work? Right. And I got job offers from three pretty dang good companies, um, Ford, Harley Davidson and Cabela's. And as soon as I got the job offer from Cabela's, I didn't bat an eyelash. I didn't look at the salaries that were offered me. I said, see you later. Um, my now wife, who was a girlfriend at the time, we packed up, uh, her car, tied it to the back of a U-Haul and moved out West. And uh, that was the day after college graduation and haven't, haven't been back to the Midwest or the back East since. And um, yeah, and it's a, like I go back for deer season every year, but we've lived out West. And, and so I lived in Nebraska working at Cabela's headquarters for a few years. Then I moved down to Colorado working on their digital marketing team. Then I worked for Burris Optics for almost five years. Uh, Most recently was their marketing director. And then, you know, now I, I work at Quiet Cat and I live up in the mountains of, of Colorado, uh, just outside of Vail in a town called Eagle. Um, so I've kind of worked in the outdoor industry my whole life. Um, but, you know, we're, we're you're talking about hunting, right? And that's those things go hand in hand, in my opinion, right? Like the reason I, I work where I do and work where I have is because of my passion for hunting. And uh, yeah, it all started in, in Wisconsin. And I really fell in love, obviously, with the Western hunting as, I, as I've been out West now for almost 10 years and have hunted almost every state in the West and every species you can imagine with almost every weapon. So, yeah, that's, you know, I, I, I follow your Instagram and I get to see like all the things that you get to go and do. And I just assume that's part of the perks of being in the outdoor industry, right? Like you just get extra vacation time for hunting season, I presume. Not necessarily, man. Um, it's a, it's definitely, it's a work hard, play hard thing. You know, I yeah. think people assume what you're assuming, yeah. or maybe you're joking, right? I but, was, I was a little tongue okay. in cheek there. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, man, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, I think the one thing that helps me get out as much as I do, I will, I think I'll boil it down to two things. Like number one, living where you like to play. There's no commute time. Like I just did a post a couple of weeks ago, we were hunting mountain lions after work. Right. And it was just on my way home from work. Literally like you get off work at five, you have three hours of sunlight left and go try to call for mountain lions. Like it's, you don't, there's no commute time, right? There's none of that waste. There's no like having to take vacation to go hunting because you can just do it on a weekday. Like you can kill a bull elk before work and be into work by 9am. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I've kind of set myself up to be able to do a lot, a lot of hunting. And then I think the second thing is just obviously having a good support system in a family, you know, that supports you. My wife is extremely supportive of, of what I do. We have two little kids now and, you know, it's, it's managing that, that good family balance and playing, you know, doing the, doing the daddy time, but also Mm -hmm. still being able to get out there and hunt. So. 
That's awesome, man. That's really so. So let's 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 gear this back towards turkey. When'd you kill your first turkey, dude? <laughs> that's a great question. Five. <laughs> I want to say I was eight. Um, yeah. and, and the first, the first, man, it was like the first five or six turkeys I killed with a longbow. Um, no I didn't kidding. Yeah, I had a little um, fiberglass yellow longbow, and when I was a kid, I hunted everything with. I hunted rabbits, squirrels. Like I just ran around the woods hunting with that thing all day. Um, and then, I feel like so I'm jerking I my chain right now, just to like make me feel bad about my how bad a turkey hunter I am with no, a shotgun. No, no, no. And let me, let me, let me uh, back up in okay. Wisconsin, the area where I grew up. I'm like, I'm not claiming to be a good turkey hunter, especially when I was eight. I didn't know what I was doing. The turkeys in my area of Wisconsin are probably one of the best success stories in conservation's history. Like okay. when I when I was really young, like we didn't have turkeys. And then from the time I was like four or five, which is when I started going to the deer stand with my dad, when we weren't seeing them until I was eight, nine, 10, dude, by the time I was 12 years old, they were like vermin. I mean, they were everywhere. Like you couldn't beat them off with a stick. And so actually my, my first turkey I killed with that long ball. I remember this story specifically. Uh, we were out spring walleye fishing um, and we were on our way back uh, from one of our favorite walleye spots in the boat. And we heard a gobble out on the island and we're like, dang, how'd that turkey get out there? And our riverbanks are up really high, right? And so it flew down to the island to roost from the riverbank, but it couldn't fly back to the, across the river. It was stuck out on the island. And so I ran home and grabbed my bow, took my boat out to the island and basically just walked up on it and shot it, man. I didn't call it in. I didn't use decoys. I didn't even have camo on. Like I just walked, I just shot it. Right. Um, and that's kind of like, honestly, the story of my first five or six turkeys and <clears throat> This is going to be, I guess, a little bit of a surprise, but I never got into turkey hunting uh, through even through high school. Like I just didn't care about hunting turkeys because I just thought it was the easiest thing ever. And it was stupid um, because there were so many of them where I lived. And then I, I remember I mentioned I went, I went to school and then I moved to Nebraska and I was working at Cabela's corporate headquarters. And I'll never forget this. It was my first year living out West. And I'm like, man, all these Western hunters, they're badasses, right? They're hunting elk and they're going on mountain goat hunts and like, they're doing all this crazy stuff. And then as spring came along and I was, I was gearing up to go walleye fishing just because I fished a lot growing up. Right. And like, like there's a lot of good lakes and I won't name any, but there's a lot of good lakes in Nebraska for walleye. And anyways, I'm gearing up for walleye fishing. And all these people at Cabela's are talking about turkey hunting. They're like, oh, we can't wait to go chase the turkeys. Oh, I've got them on trail camera. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I'm like, why in the world are you talking about turkey hunting? And I'll tell you right now, I got humbled in that first year hunting turkeys out west where I had been used to them kind of just running around all over the place where I grew up in Wisconsin. And then kind of got my butt kicked uh, that first year turkey hunting in Nebraska and I fell in love all over again, man. And ever since that first year of turkey hunting out west, I've just been going on crazy turkey tours, hunting, you know, five, six states a year, just doing everything I can. And I'm just ate up with it again. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a COVID turkey hunter, right? I didn't have like the the bandwidth for it. I would go every Saturday or something like that, you know, and maybe the first four weeks of the season every saturday by nine o'clock i was at waffle house and you know looking at talking to all the other guys oh yeah they ain't talking or they're all hinned up and it's then like reality is like did you really even try like you know you didn't get one off the roof so you just left you know and and uh, 2020 came around everybody on this podcast knows that story but i'm hooked and it's it's an absolute blast but i'm per i'm perplexed by exactly what you just said Hunting out west has got to be just an absolute 180 from anything. You know, I think I think the South has like the strongest turkey hunting 
culture out of all the people I've talked to. Uh, you do? Yep, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I don't think much that we know here will translate out West. Do you, do you, do you agree or disagree? I, I disagree and agree to an extent. I think that there's certain like foundational principles that all apply out West that do out East, like the Turkey language. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that doesn't change no matter where you are in the country. Right. That language is going to be the same now, how much they talk and whether or not they talk on the roost versus the ground and how much that percentage changes is different. Mm-hmm. But like your, your cuts, your yelps, everything like that's still going to apply. Um, but it's definitely different when you introduce topography. I think that's probably the biggest difference maker. Like turkeys just act different because I've hunted turkeys on the plains of Colorado and in the mountains of Colorado. And the turkeys on the plains act a lot more similarly to what they do in Wisconsin. And I'd imagine what they act like in the South, right? Because I've never turkey hunted in the South, actually. But um, I imagine they act very similar. Now you introduce topography and they're an entirely different animal. Just how they navigate the landscape, um, how, you know, the amount of predators that are chasing after them. And so how they, their behavior changes a lot. So, so talk about like, you know, when you're, when you're going, actually, let's start here. Does your gear setup change when you're hunting mountain birds yeah. versus, yeah? hundred percent. It's a polar opposite. Okay. Um, out West, I'm running super lean running gun style stuff. Um, I'm using the collapsible Montana decoys that just shove into my back. Um, most of the time I'm not using a decoy unless I'm getting into an open area. Um, but they're collapsible, lightweight. My Turkey vest is not loaded down. I'm never using a ground blind. Wisconsin polar opposite. Most of the time setting up a ground blind, you kind of know where the roost tree is. You're setting up for the long haul. You got all the calls in the world and bring it backpack with extra calls. You know, you get, it's just the, your gear setup is completely different. You throw out a decoy spread, right? Like you're hunting geese or something. Yeah. You have a bunch yeah. of decoys in front of you, hard body decoys. And yeah, it's a completely different setup for sure. I saw a dude, I think you, you hit this point where you just consume all the, like your favorite content on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, Hey, got any more of that Turkey cut? And you just go <laughs> as you want to. And there was some dude and, and he was in probably Miss. Wisconsin's what I almost just said, Michigan or Wisconsin, somewhere like that. It wasn't the deep South because you wouldn't have seen this there. And there's like snow out there on the field. He's got like nine decoys out in front of him. And I guess maybe the flocks were just so big where he was. I guess it was like a duck hunting mindset. And uh, here comes the turkeys like on a beeline. And I'm like, you'd never see that in the South, man. Like that would just you you would get laughed off the field, you know. Another thing I think that's a big difference, and this is just, again, I've never turkey hunted in the South just because or just around me. There's so many good opportunities to do it, and I've kind of fallen in love with the two little turkey tours that I do, and we'll touch on it later. But to my understanding, not a lot of people, especially on the public land down South, they don't they don't fan birds. Um, mm-hmm. And even like whether it's public or not, I've kind of heard that there's this negative, negative like stigmatism towards people that, that fan birds or reap birds. Um, and, and out West it's super common, um, you know, oh yeah, super common because there's just not like, you're not going to run into the amount of people. And even, even in a mountain situation where it's thicker, you can still see so far. It's not like the dense woods of Wisconsin. Like Mm -hmm. I would never fan a bird in the dense woods of Wisconsin on public land. You'd probably get your face shot off. Right. Um, (laughs) and so out West though, it's just not a, it's not a problem. And man, I've, I've fanned up quite a few birds at, at this point and it, is a ton of fun because I like to kind of make the analogy of elk hunting, right? Because hunting mountain turkeys is a lot like hunting elk. And it's like, 
you you can call an elk all day long, but like the reason you do it is for that one that's just screaming his head off and just comes in with his eyes rolled in the back of his head. It's the same thing, man. Every now and then you get that one Tom, his eyes are rolled in the back of his head. He comes in so fast. He'll try kicking the decoy out of your hand. Like his just... It, and that experience is just freaking like awesome. Like whether you shoot the bird or not, just to have have a turkey that fooled is just hilarious, in my opinion. Because I mean, that's why you do it, right? It's just to completely fool them. You've like I've spot I've had to spot and stock talk turkeys before too, and they go like quiet and they don't want to talk and they're not all fired up. And like you can kill them that way. It's just not as fun as like that really long call in where they just strut in the whole way and you just really have them fooled, you know. So how does how does the fan fit into your 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 toolkit? Is it like the first thing you reach for? Do you have like a process and how you approach that? Because a lot of guys, it's it's gaining popularity in the South, and it's a very it's a it's a remarkably contentious topic. Um, a lot of guys around here, it's like, well, I'm gonna do everything I can to kill this bird, but then if nothing else works, I'm gonna pull the fan out, and I'm gonna yeah. I'm, I think I'm it depends. Like, way. yeah, yeah. It's it's a good question, man. I, so many of my turkey hunts string together and are reliant on each other. So I might have three day, I might have a three day weekend to hunt four states. And in that case, and I might have two birds in two of those states. So I'm killing six birds in three days. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's the case, like I'm putting my best foot forward and I'm just trying to get onto the next spot and I'm just trying to rack the birds up and get home. Right. Cause I have a limited amount of time. If I'm in that situation, I'm more often than not reaching for the fan as a first tactic in the right situation, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's situations where it doesn't work. Um, and then there's also your quintessential, like, you know, when you throw the fan up, he's going to come running. Like, there, like there are situations, like if you're between some hens and a gobbler and he's mm-hmm. calling to him, they're calling to each other and you get between them, you throw that fan up 11 times out of 10, he's coming to run and kick your ass. Like it's going to work. <laughs> so, you know, if there's, there's times where you see that situation play out and you're like, yeah, I should throw up the fan. Right. Um, if, if I'm not in a hurry and I'm just trying to like, enjoy the experience, I won't use the fan at all. I, I'll just try to call them in without a decoy at all. So. So the usage for you is kind of based around, uh, based around what you're trying to achieve in that moment per se. It's yeah. Not, like, like I said, not even just in the moment in like a three day period, right? Like what, right. like how much time do I have is really what it comes down to. Do I have all the time in the world and do I want to enjoy this? Or am I just trying to, you know, put a bird down so I can move on to the next state and and keep going, right? Um, and it's still enjoyable, obviously. I mean, if you if you get one to come flying into the fan, but there is that sweet spot in that time of year where you know those those boss toms are just running everything off. And I mean, in another situation like where you know it's going to work is if a tom is by himself with hens, he's already chased every other tom out of there. Mm-hmm. There's no other toms with him. He's not being nice and letting things hang around. If you get within eye shot of him and you throw that fan up, if you come up over a rise or over a bank and just pull mm-hmm. the tail feathers up, you don't have to call you up to do anything. He sees the tips of those fans and he's just going to come try to run you over. So there's like certain situations where it is just the best tool to use. Um, and then there's certain situations where it just won't work, you know? Sure. So give me, give me, so I never hear about fanning not working. So we're kind of like, yeah. we're chasing a rabbit here, but if you'll hear me, <laughs> What kind of situations have you had? Can you give me some examples of when fanning doesn't work? Because all I see on Instagram is like the guy taking the the, the back of the Rayte shotgun. And he's like beating the, the the gobbler off of off of the the. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what you yeah. think of. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. 
Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, I mean, it's like any hunting video, right? You, most people don't. And that's one thing I actually kind of pride myself on too. Like I've got a YouTube channel, right? And I put up, the videos I put up are just authentic. It's how it happens. If, if I if I hit an elk and it doesn't pan out, I'm going to put the video up. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like hide stuff. And I think that a lot of hunting videos are, you only see the successes. Mm-hmm. So I think you only see successes of fanning turkeys online, but I'll tell you from personal experience, it doesn't work every time, right? And there are certain situations where it does not work. Um, a lot of that has to do with just the the flock dynamics, right? Like what stage are they in? How fired up are they? The other thing is the topography. Um, because if if you're a turkey, especially like if you're more of a submissive gobbler, right? And you buy some, like there's a good example, right? You got a, a boss Tom and more of a submissive like Jake or a small, a younger Tom. And that boss Tom gets shot by somebody. And now you're just this lucky Jake that's got a bunch of hens. Mm-hmm. If you come and throw that big Tom fan up, he probably isn't going to come run to it. He's probably going to try to get the hens and kind of like hurt them away from you. Right. So I think you have to read into that. You have to read into if they're not fired up, it's not going to work. Like even if it's a boss Tom, he's going to try to push those hens away from you rather than coming to fight you. And then the topography, man, if it's flat, like if you can't surprise them with the fan, like that's where it works best is when you can surprise them with it. You come up from behind a rise or a hill or whatever. Um, if, if it's flat, it's not going to work. Like if you start showing up 500 yards away on your belly and crawling into them, probably not going to work. Right. Um, you really have to have that element of surprise. It's that flight or flight response that all animals have, right? Elk have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all animals have it. And bucks. you kind I mean, of as a hunter with bucks all the time, right? You grunt to a buck and yep. it's a big deer, but he's got that, that weak mindset and he just tears out of there. And you're like, what the heck just happened? You know, flight, baby, he flighted. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what it comes down to is you have to read that that behavior and say, is he a flight or a flight animal? And if that Tom looks like a flight animal, you throw the fan up. If it looks like a flight animal, you don't, right? So, so final question on this, if, if you had to quantify it, right, I'm going to count it by trade. And so data analytics, that's kind of what I do. If you had to put a figure on there out of 10 times that you fan, how often do you, does the bird come within shooting range? Uh, okay. First of all, when I, I mentioned, I went to go work for Cabela's. That's actually what I did for them is data analytics. I was a data scientist for them oh, for the cool. first three years. So we have that in common. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you yeah, did man. data way differently than I did. I did like service level <laughs> data. You're, you're, you're the data guy. <laughs> I don't know about that, but back to your question, me personally, if I throw a fan up, 
nine times out of 10, it's going to work because I'm doing it reading the situation. Gotcha. Now I'm going to answer that question from somebody doing it blindly, right? If I'm not reading a situation and I'm blindly throwing up the fan, I bet it works five times out of 10. Wow. Okay. That's much lower than I expected. Yeah. Because especially, man, think about it. Like people get really excited to get into the turkey woods, but the turkeys aren't fully fired up, at least out West, man. They don't get really cranking until May. You can hunt them a whole month before that. That whole first month, if you're throwing up that fan, it's not, it's not going to work like it will in May. Okay. I dig it, man. And you, I assume you use like a, like a real fan, not like a, one of the, like uh plastic accordion. Yeah, real, I use a real fan and I have the, yeah, there's a couple of decoys too that do this, but it's like the, the chest. It's like a half Tom decoy. Mm-hmm. It's the chest. And then you put the real fan on the back of it. And that just mm-hmm. sits right in my turkey vest because it's a half shell. It fits right in there. And then I just, when I need it, I just pull it out and yep. And it's cool because you can set that decoy up as a, as a setup too. Like if you're going to, if you're going to blind call, right. Uh, you just, you can set that up with a, a hen, a late, that's my favorite decoy setup, by the way, for out West is I've got a Jake Montana and a hen Montana collapsible decoy. I'll throw that hen decoy down and I'll put that strutter up behind her. Like he's about to breed her. That's my kind of go-to setup for, nice. for turkey. Hunting. Yeah. So, so let's talk about hunting birds kind of in the mountains. Uh, when you do your setups, how does that differ? You know, obviously there's topography at play. Uh, when <laughs> I, uh, hunted, mountain birds in North Georgia, I got my butt kicked. They seem to do things that they just didn't do. And I'm hopeful uh, mm-hmm. that that's not a unique thing. And I suck as a turkey hunter, but that, you know, the birds just kind of act a little differently. I would expect them to take the path of least resistance, but it feels like turkeys think that that sometimes is a straight line, regardless of what's in front of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. They're, they're interesting little buggers. I'll say that. First of all, like when I set up in, in the mountains, I don't set up that much. Like it's more of a mix between setup and run and gun. So like I'll figure out whether visually or, or audibly, like I'll figure out where they are. I try mm-hmm. to get in front of them. So I'm on their natural path of travel. And then I just call them. So they divert off to the side or, or kind of come over to me versus having to come back from where they came. And, and that's normally like a mixture, like I said, run and gun, getting around in front of them, getting in the right spot, sitting down real quickly, either throwing out a decoy or not using one at all. And then calling them to you. Um, as far as like how I've noticed the topography changes the Turkey, it's interesting. It's the opposite of an elk. Um, a a big bull elk is going to want to come at you from your, like the same level or above you. So he has the vertical advantage on you. Turkeys are kind of the opposite. They like to come around above you to see you, but they don't like to come into you from above you. It seems to me like they like to come into you from below you or at level to you. In an ideal situation, you get at level, but I guess that my theory behind why they like to, to come up to you is every time you've ever seen a turkey fl- fly away from prey, right? They push off with those big legs. And I think that if they're below you, they know they can get away quicker because they can quick set their wings and then coast out away from you. Um, another thing, you know, as it relates to topography and setup, a lot of times what turkeys will do is they'll walk to the highest point whether it's a red cliff, whether it's a, and this goes from all the states I've hunted out West. Um, what they really like to do is go to the peak of, of the elevation. And then they kind of coast off the peak of elevation to a tree branch, which is where they roost at about that same height level. Mm. So, you know, it might be a tree that's, you know, anywhere from 15 to 50 yards down slope from the peak of the, the mountain, but that limb that they roost on is level with the peak of the mountain. And so, 
from right where they leave from that night is typically where they coast back to in the morning. So it's like this little launch pad where they feel comfortable taking off and landing. And then that, that tree that they roost in, and it's not like in Wisconsin where they have one roost tree that they just always use. Mm-hmm. Typically, they're a little bit more scattered. Um, now, there are some par- parts of Colorado where there's that juicy roost tree that they always go to. But I would say for the most part, I've noticed the the roost trees are kind of more sporadic. But I definitely use that that theory around like how they roost to my advantage, right? In the morning, if you want to kill them right off the roost, you got to be right where that launch pad is. And then typically once what they do is when they hit that launch pad in the morning, they have, they'll follow the ridge. They don't want to drop elevation. They don't, they can't gain elevation because they're already at the top. And so if, if let's say you can't call them in off the roost, normally what I do is I drop down and try to just get to the other side of the ridge. Cause they're just going to kind of follow that ridge around and eventually, you know, just kind of top it out on it. That's, uh, you know, what I've noticed from, you know, hunting them over the last 10 or so years out here. I feel like you're giving everybody the sauce, dude. Like, I feel like the information you just gave, that's, that's, I don't know. I would have said that on the public airwaves. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like, I feel like you, I feel like most people kind of would either figure that out or know that. And I'm I'm not too worried about it, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, that's a helpful tip for sure. And these are all things too. Like I have a lot of people that'll call me, right. And they're like, Hey, uh, (laughs) I'm going out West Turkey hunting for the first time. What do I need to know? And so my hope is now I can just direct them to this podcast. I don't have to talk to a (laughs) hundred people a week. <laughs> uh, I'll take a hundred more listeners. I think that'll be a hundred percent increase. So it will be a good. <laughs> hey, That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess when we think about Colorado, we think about mule deer, elk, sheep, ram, uh, goats, stuff like that. Um, it doesn't feel like Colorado is uh, known or the West as a whole is known as being like this Mecca for turkey hunting. And yet every year I see these people go out there and they're wildly successful. Um, How would you describe, how would you compare the populations in these states to some of these other states where you're beating them off like flies? Like I understand it'll be different, but is it one of these things where they're sparse pockets of turkeys along the way, or are they kind of evenly distributed, but just a lesser amount? Yeah, I'll start by saying I think a lot of the people that you see that are coming from out east to come hunt out west, they they appear wildly successful. And I I do believe they are wildly successful, mostly because most of the people that are going to travel that far to turkey hunt are really into turkey hunting and they're good at it. Secondly, if you're going to devote time to drive all the way to Colorado to hunt turkeys, you're going to hunt them until you kill one. Right. So it might not be that they show up and just shoot one right away. They might hunt them for six days, which in my opinion is way too long to hunt a turkey to kill it. Um, but you know, they were successful on their trip and that's great. Good for them. Right. But I just think that it's sometimes again, social media can be deceiving man. whether they hunted for six days and got one or whether they hunted for six hours and got one is two different things. Um, to, to answer your question, I guess the rest of the way it's night and day difference. I mean, the Turkey populations out West are so much lower than they are in the South, the East and the Midwest. I mean, that's all they have. You can go to NWTF. They have data and all that. Um, and not only are the populations lower, the turkeys are super skittish because they have mm. like legitimate natural predators, like a lot of them. <laughs> um, they're, I think, easier to call in than especially the highly pressured birds that you guys get down south where a lot of people know how to call. I think they're easier to call in out west, but there's far less of them and they're way more pocketed. Like in Wisconsin, I feel like you could drop a pin on the map and you'd be in turkeys. Uh, and out west, that is not the case, man. You go 15 miles in between groups of turkeys sometimes, sometimes more. 
sometimes 45 miles in between groups of turkeys because the habitat's just not there. And so they get into these little, little pockets and you either find those pockets or you don't. Um, So I really do think like out West, at least for me, the battle has been finding them. Once you find them, I feel really good about being able to get one. Right. Uh, Whereas in Wisconsin, it's almost the inverse. It's like, well, you're going to find them. It's just a matter of if you're going to be able to kill them or not. That makes sense. That makes sense. I can actually think of a couple factors. I'm probably not going to say on the podcast that I'll pick your brain later that kind of indicate where those pockets are. One of them just popped into mind, but, um, Oh man, I mean, I have no problem talking about it. I mean, it's, it's the pockets of like where turkeys hang out out West is obvious. All, all animals need water. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to have, you know, rivers and creeks are going to be popular for turkeys. That's just where they live. Um, they do go up on the mountains. Like they'll be in junipers. They'll be in sage flats. Like you'd be surprised where you find a turkey out West. Um, and sometimes those little hidden pockets are the best ones because everybody goes to hunt the creeks and the rivers. And that's where all the out of staters go. Right. And so that's where you're going to have your pressure. Um, I think another just common tip for people, and I have no problem sharing this because I think you'd figure it out eventually anyways, but like snow melt is a big thing in Colorado. This year we're at like almost 500 inches of snow, like insane amount of snow. So our snow level this year is going to be a lot lower than where it was in previous years. So if you've come out here and you've hunted turkeys at 10,000 feet in May and you're used to going to that spot, the turkeys are not going to be there this year because it's still going to be under three feet of snow. So it's not like you have these spots that you can always go to. That's not how it works out here. Um, it's, it's different every year. And that is 99% due to snow level and snowpack. Um, so a, a good rule of thumb is to, you know, snow line and below. Um, typically what those birds will do is as the snow recedes up the mountain, they'll kind of follow that snow line and find that fresh forage grass and legumes as they go up the mountain. Um, but they'll never be above it. You're never going to find turkeys in, in the mountains of Colorado. You'll never find turkeys in the snow because they have an alternative. Now, if you're up in somewhere like South Dakota, it's different because they're going to be in the snow if they're snow because they don't have a choice. It's <laughs> not a place yeah. to, go to get out of the snow, right? It's a different scenario. Right. So what turkeys do you all have out in Colorado? Is it Rios? We have Rios on the front range along the rivers okay. um, and then some on the very far western boundary towards Utah. And then up in the mountains, they're all Miriams. Really? And yeah, yeah, all Miriams. And there's a I, this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, you know, and I, again, I just, I hunt so many States out West every year. And like, I know the difference between a Miriam and a Rio and there's a lot of hybrids out there, I guess is what I'm getting to. And so many people will go to South Dakota and they'll be like, I shot a, um, a Miriam. And you're like, no, like that thing is almost pure, like almost purely Rio. It might have a little bit of Miriam in it, but I think a lot of people think that they, they shoot Miriams in like Kansas or something or, or South Dakota. And you're like, man, any more of those birds are so mixed and hybridized. It is actually, if you're trying to get like a true slam and you actually care about like, and I don't think you need to be that picky. Like it's, you should be in it for the experience, but if you're looking for a true Miriam, there are very few places where there are true Miriams. And in order to ensure that you like have a Miriam, you pretty much have to be above, like call it 5,000, 6,000 feet of elevation. Cause the reality is the Rios just will not live that high. So hmm. if you know, there's a lot of those areas that are in that like gray area in between, like even the front range of Colorado, people get up into the mountains like a little bit in Colorado and they're like, Oh, Miriam. And you're like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. 
You sound, you sound like me talking to the Patreon group about uh, Osceola turkeys. You know, depending on what map you look at, it's where that line is drawn, and and I'm not going to do that and subject them to it to it again. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny how I couldn't care less, man. If he's gobbling like a man, I couldn't care what species he is. If you may, if you put told me it was a Rio where I shot the, uh, my last bird, so be it. I don't care. Sounds great. He he tasted delicious and he got the blood yeah. running. You know, that's it, man. I'm in it for the experience as well. You know, people have asked me a lot, like. When are you going to go out and shoot an Osceola? Like, when are you going to get your slam? I'm like, yeah. man, I could care less about a slam. Like, I've got an open invite to four different places in, in Florida where I could go shoot an Osceola tomorrow. But I, I just, I don't see the need to fly all the way across the country to have an experience hunting turkeys exactly like I grew up doing. Yeah. I just enjoy, I really do enjoy the experience of the Western hunt a lot. Like, I have these these turkey tours I do every year now, right there they're just like my favorite hunts there. It's like what I have found is the best experience that I can get in a turkey hunt. I just, I don't want to go try to find new ones because I know the ones I've just refined. And I know exactly what I love. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, I have to say, I think that's a wise decision. The Florida, the turkey hunting in Florida is absolutely garbage. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend anybody come to the state. Honestly, I think if you're listening and you're planning where to go, uh, Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, that's right. where I'll send you. Um, yeah. Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin, yeah, uh, that's a good that's a good spot. But just don't waste your time down here. There's nothing but snakes, alligators, and, and mosquitoes. The thing you guys have going against you too is social media, right? Because you're the first season that opens, and so like that first month of turkey hunting content is just all Florida. That's all anybody sees. So they draw this connection in their brain, like that total social media deception of like, oh yeah, everybody's whacking them in Florida. There must be so many turkeys. Again, you only hear about the successes, and for the whole first month of turkey season until Mississippi opens, the only thing you're going to see is Florida. Yep, South Carolina is nipping at the heels too. But yeah, I'll tell you something, man. Those South Carolina boys, they do not post their turkeys to social media. Not not like the other states. They could get less for you to think that there's turkeys in South Carolina from what I can tell. Now, what you will see in South Carolina is a bush latte up against the spurs of, of spurs that are like two inches. I swear to God, every bird that I see killed and posted, posted to social media from South Carolina, the hooks on this thing would qualify as a shiv in prison. I mean, they're just crazy. <laughs> Man, sounds to me like you're telling people to go turkey hunt in South Carolina. Definitely, just not Florida. There's no birds <laughs> right. here. No birds. <laughs> in fact, if you're chasing 49, it's over. Just you're chasing 48. Scratch Florida off the list. There's no birds. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What the only the only state that doesn't have them is Alaska, right? Yeah. Well, and they have them. You just can't hunt them yet. Uh-huh. And you know, with climate up there kind of shifting, the, their population is actually starting to to kind of like ebb and flow towards a stable population so that'll be really interesting and probably when we're older yeah we'll be uh booking our first uh alaskan turkey hunts very good man yeah i'm going to hawaii here to bow hunt axis deer in august and uh okay i was thinking about like man i wish they had a fall season because i'd love to go shoot a turkey up on a volcano i just think that'd be so cool yeah yeah it's uh that's on my list as well um I'm actually working on something. I had like some fortuitous events like land in my lap that I might be able to actually go out there and do it. And I'm sure I'll come back empty handed, but I'll tell you something, man, uh, hunting Turkey in a Hawaiian shirt just feels right. I, I can't, it, it maybe does. it's the Floridian in me, but you know, yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if they make like camo colored Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> they have to surely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Golly. That'd be something. If not, I might have a market to introduce one. There you go. So let's let's talk about something. You do something that uh, I vehemently disagree with, and I say that a bit tongue in cheek. 
but bow hunting turkeys. Uh, yeah. I, I, if you put a Bible in front of me, I would swear on that Bible. The only tool you should kill a turkey with is a shotgun. But you yeah. you are dead set on making it even harder. Why? <laughs> Out west, it makes sense because it lets us kill more birds. That's okay. the only reason I do it. Okay. And I would I would also use your Bible and say I'd rather kill them with a shotgun. There is just something about the boom and the flop, right? Like that, I, I'm with you there. I really yeah. am. Yeah. Um, the reality of it is when I go to Nebraska, when I go to the Black Hills in South Dakota, you get one whole extra bird in those states for being an oh, archery hunter. I'd probably, I'd probably turkey on them with a bow too. Then yeah, see, so that's, that's where I'm at there. Um, it is so hard to shoot a turkey with a bow, not in a ground blind. And I am not a ground blind sitter. Like I don't, I grew up hunting in tree stands in Wisconsin. And so my patience has been spent. Like I am yeah. good to never sit in a ground blind or tree stand again, as long as I live. And so I'd rather run them and gun them. And that's one thing I hate about bow hunting them is most of the time you have to sit in a ground blind. Now I did, you know, last year I got a couple of them running gun style and got it on film and it finally came together for me. But that was like a three year venture of figuring out how do I kill a bow? How do I kill a bow turkey? Not in the ground blind. And it was, it's a freaking task. Do you know uh, close proximity TV on YouTube? No. The guy does nothing and he has for years. He kills all his birds on the ground without a without a, a blind from the with a bow and the guy gets him into like 10 yards yeah. and he's got like green leafy vine that he's like zip tied to his bow to where his bow doesn't look like a bow anymore and mm-hmm. i see all that and i'm like that's a lot of extra work but yeah. if it got me more turkey tags I, I i might i might compromise my morals on that it's a challenge man like i i'm a big bow hunter right i hunt freaking everything with the bow every species you can imagine and i love bow hunting and dude turkeys i swear to you out of the ground blind are one of the hardest animals to kill the bow because really? you know, dude, you know how good their eyesight is and yeah. how good it catches movement. Good luck drawing your freaking bow and having them not see it. Now, maybe I'm missing something without, you know, turning my bow into a freaking Sasquatch or whatever the guy did. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm not doing anything special. Like I'm not hiding in a ghillie suit or anything. And with the timing of when you draw your bow is everything. Yeah. If, if, if it's not the, like, if they're not completely distracted or behind something, you'll never get a draw draw off on a turkey. They'll spook every time. Hmm. Even with a ground blind. No, in a ground blind, different story. You can get away with oh, okay. it. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm talking about how once like, yeah, shooting a bow, shooting a turkey with a bow in a ground blind, not a hard thing to do. Yeah, like, okay. That makes not sense. a hard thing to do. I got you. Yeah. I got Outside you. Outside the ground blind, different world, man. Yeah. We well, get one advantage with turkey too is like they they don't question the ground blind near as much as a deer. Uh, we, like they don't see it. Like what is that? I know. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. I've hunted with a ground blind in the middle of a plain where there is not a thing, not a bush within a mile. Like the ground blind is the only thing out there, and they just seem to not care. Like yeah. if the decoy is out there ten yards from the ground blind, they're going to come right to the decoy. Like yeah. that big box sitting out there isn't even anything. Yeah. Like what is that? I I think it goes back to I don't I mean and, and you may disagree with me that's okay I don't think turkeys are smart at all I, I think either. they're a bunch of zeros and ones and <laughs> that that's movement and they shouldn't move so I'm out that you know uh uh I don't know I I just think that they they default to flight they default to you know skepticism but there are certain things that just don't trigger prey and a big square on the on the on the on the plains like that just there's no there's no flight response to that you know. I thought about a turkey's like brain capability is uh-huh. is mixed. Like some days I'm like, man, these are the dumbest animals on earth. And then other days I'm like, 
I can't, I could not buy a bird to save my life. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't want to call them dumb, but it, I, I've seen the dumb turkey. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like they're so dumb. They're unpredictable. And because we yeah. think we like, we, we're not even playing the same game anymore. You know, the, they're playing checkers and just some of the moves they make just don't make any sense because we're playing chess, you know, like it's, it's yeah. a different thing, but that's for sure. What, yeah. uh, what is your turkey tour every year? You keep talking about this. So what, what are the states that you hit? Yeah. So I kind of have like my staple one that I do every year. And then I kind of try to branch out and do like another little one where I try to explore new areas. But the states that I've really just fallen in love with, uh, Colorado, I go Colorado, Nebraska, South Dakota, and I hunt a ton of tags in South Dakota. And then I either come back down through Wyoming or back down through Kansas. So depending on whether I go East or West, it'll be either Wyoming or Kansas, but always Colorado, Nebraska, South Dakota. Um, and then, you know, this year I'm trying a new one. I'm going to go um, through Oklahoma. Uh, it'll be this, uh, it'll be basically the southwest part of Kansas, Oklahoma, and then New Mexico I'm going to try. And then I'm also hunting Utah this year for the first time. So that'll be fun just because Utah's pretty close to my house now and where I live. So I'll bop over the border and try to get one there. How do you, how do you pick these? Because I'm on a quest. I want to do 49 by 49. And that was, that's been my goal for like the last two years now. And I, I'm probably still going to go down that path. Um, but I heard Shane Simpson say the other day, he's in it for the experience. Now he couldn't care less about, he has a train type he likes to hunt. And then I hear you saying, I've got these states that I just love the experience of going to. And so it's actually starting to kind of challenge my perception of what my turkey hunting goals are, because now I'm sitting here thinking, am I miss, am I miss allocating this? Because Florida, I can get two words, Alabama two hour drive, I can get four birds. And in Georgia, I can get two more birds. And so, you know, you know, Tennessee, I can get four birds. If I want to go to Mississippi, I can get one more in South Carolina. I can get two. All of those were within an eight hour drive of me. And so it's one of those things where I'm starting to wonder, am I a little foolish with chasing the 49? And should I just be, you know, building rapport in some of those areas every year and just having fun within a, an eight to 10 hour drive of the house? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, and you know, when I first, like, got back into turkey hunt when I was out West, I was like, yeah, I want the slam. And then I kind of was like on that kick of like, yeah, maybe the 49, like try to get one in every state. And I do think it'd be cool to eventually hunt every state just to see the different terrain types and topographies and be able to compare and contrast how it's different. But one thing is for sure, I will never one year of my life, not hunt turkeys in Colorado, Nebraska, and South Dakota. I will not miss it because it is as much fun as you can have with your clothes on. Right? Like it is in my opinion for me, like the, like the ideal Turkey experience. And I would never spend a spring missing that. Like, it doesn't matter what shiny uh, object there is for me to chase in a different state. Like I just always, I, I don't want to miss that because, and you mentioned rapport. That's a huge thing too. Like I've spent so much time getting to know these, you know, these public lands over the last couple of years. It almost feels foolish not to go back. If I can run in there and kill it 30 minutes, like why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? It, it'd almost be like all those years would just be a wasted. You know? How do you, how do you, how do you, I don't know, maybe. No, I, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. How do you reconcile 
Um, and maybe you don't care, but you know, I have a couple spots. I have several spots. I've got a lot of spots here in Florida that I can go and kill birds. And I find myself wanting mm-hmm. a, a challenge. You know, I'm going to just go to a totally different WMA and see what happens. I'm going to go to a totally different state. Is that kind of why you're punching into those other areas or is it just simply, meh, I want to see it. Yeah, it's more, I just want to see it. I just want the new experience and, and who knows, man, like maybe I'll find that ideal experience somewhere else. Like maybe I'll go to New Mexico this year and be like, yep, add that to the Turkey tour every year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause you don't know what's out there until you go. And so that's the idea of exploring. I think where I find my additional challenge is bow hunting them, right? If I'm in an area where there's a ton of turkeys, that's the first thing I think in my head is like, shit, maybe I'll leave the shotgun at home today and I try to kill them outside the ground blind. And then I'll go mess that up all day long and I'll just get mad at them and go grab my shotgun and take one's head off and be happy with myself, right? But like, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's where I think I try, I like, I find my challenge. It's not, I don't want to go hunt an area where there's not a lot of turkeys. Like, yeah, that's a challenge, but it's not a fun challenge. Like a fun challenge for me is hunt an area where there's a lot of turkeys, but make it more difficult on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's just me. I mean, <laughs> you don't leave yeah. birds to find birds necessarily, right? Hell I mean, no, man. That's yeah. that's rule number one about hunting out west. Like, no matter what you're hunting, don't leave elk to find elk. Don't yeah. leave deer to yeah. find deer. Like, because they are so spread out and pocketed, mm-hmm. you could spend two days trying to find more. Like, don't if they're in them, don't leave them. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. That makes a lot of sense. I think the maybe I'll get to that point where. I'll pick up the bow because I want to challenge. I sincerely doubt it. I really do. But, you know, I've got hopefully a lot of years left ahead of me. So maybe that that happens. But I'll tell you what I really started to enjoy is uh, putting down the shotgun in favor of the camera and calling in a bird for someone else. Like that is and and I'm not the greatest turkey hunter at all. Again, 2020 COVID turkey hunter uh, began my journey then. Um, But taking that and experiencing turkey hunting with someone else just seems richer than doing it by myself. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, man, I think I I find myself kind of being a solo hunter across all things, especially big game, just because most of the places I go, most people don't want to go. You know, they don't want to endure that, that nine days in a one person tent living off dehydrated meals. So in general, I find myself a solo hunter and I do love like that. You just being alone in nature. Like that's one of the main reasons I hunt is just hit the reset button Turkey, I think, is the major exception to that. I, I really have found enjoyment, whether it's hunting with Bryce or my buddy Tate or my buddy Josh up in South Dakota or my buddy David I'm going to Kansas with. Like, I really do like the buddy hunt of turkey hunting. And you hit the nail on the head, man. Like, obviously, I have a YouTube channel. I film all my hunts. And self-filming is fun. But if you want, like, a high-quality film, it's really nice to be able to just run a camera, call, and just be there with your buddy. Like, there's... And there's only so many turkey tags you can get, right? And that is a really good way to be part of more turkey experiences is to exactly. is to hunt with two or three people. Yeah, for sure. That's become that's become. Uh, I started actually. I did pick up the turkey opener for me was this past weekend. I didn't pick up the shotgun with the intent of me being the shooter. Now I always take a gun just because you never know. Yep. You know, he comes in the wrong way. I'm not letting the bird get away. But uh, <clears throat> I didn't take it the gun myself until Sunday evening. I was perfectly content running the camera for everyone else the entire time. And I was driving home. I had like a three hour drive. I'm like, God, that was a lot of fun. That was a total shift. In only three years, I went from 
I can't wait to shoot them. And I still love the idea of doing it. Like I'm clamoring right now to get outside and go do it. (laughs) But there was something about documenting that excitement because I I truly feel like it's a unique experience and being able to document that on video. um, I want my boy to be able to see that one day. I want my boy to be able to see that evolution. You know, that's my motivation. And I want other people to see that excitement and maybe get involved. Yeah, man. That's always been my, my goal with like the whole reason I started filming was to share it with my dad. Right. Like I grew up hunting with him, but then I moved out West. We lived 18 hours apart And, you know, I'd always be like, man, I was on this hunt. I wish you were there. And then so I started filming it and I put the films on a thumb drive and send them to him in the mail. And then we were, yeah, we were trying to figure out better ways for like him to be able to like watch what I was doing. And so I started putting up the, uh, the hunts on, on my YouTube channel and they were just private. And I sent a couple to my buddies and they're like, man, make them public. And I was like, all right, whatever. So that's how it all started. Hmm. Um, and you know, I can absolutely relate to you, like your, the love that you found for filming because filming in itself is like its own shooting and running a camera is a skill set, right? So you're like refining that skill set of like, man, finding that right focus level, like finding that right, you know, that perfect shot where the, you know, you have the audio right and the light is right. Mm-hmm. Like finding like that is just, it's fun to do. It's just another fun thing to get good at. Right. Oh yeah. No, I, I think and, and it's, it's something that you can constantly uh, tweak. Like you can constantly find that, that better, component right like shot sequence and frame rate and and artistic yeah. style like you can really make it your own a lot like calling i kind of obsess over the filming very similar to similarly to how i obsess about calling because i listen to a lot of people call and there are trends that i pick up on and i'm really working to find a way to make myself not sound like them so that i stand out i'm not saying they aren't successful but if you think about it from a logic standpoint, zeros and ones, zeros and ones, I think there's the, the chance that a turkey could be wired to a certain consistent type of, of calling with enough, if they make it, enough negative encounters with whatever made that noise uh, yeah. could, 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 could go a long way. And so I, I obsess over my calling, which is still poor three years into it. Um, and I obsess well, hey, over – Only three years into it, you can't expect to be the world's best caller, right? And I think I – think, uh, you know to your topic on, you know, they get used to it. Absolutely. I mean, you see that with elk out here, everybody's in the world trying to blow a bugle tube and it's hard bugling elk anymore, man. Like they've just kind of gotten wise to it. Even if you sound right, they're just like, eh, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, it was, um, I was, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I think it was Shane and, and he was talking about how like in theory, calling softly and like the nuanced calling could be more effective in highly pressured areas than any other kind of calling, right? Just real subtle stuff that just sounds organic and real. Um, and I was hunting last year, a bird that, um, I I was hunting the same bird. Oh, in theory, it was the same bird. I can't visually confirm that. And I busted the Tom and the hen and they walked away and I sat in that same spot and the hen came back through and she was just, just, and he fires off and i'm like oh my god he can hear that so like when you know they're adapting to the fact that i'm here they want to find each other again and so uh that was one of those catalysts i was like oh my god i gotta change up the way i'm going about it i think sometimes like the softer calling really works because if you think about it from their perspective they might not necessarily be able to tell distance Mm-hmm. But if the Tom can barely hear the hen, he can only assume that she can barely hear him. And if he waits any longer to respond, then she might not be able to hear him. Right. right. And so I think that that soft calling a lot can work, work in, in your favor. One thing that I've really found success with, and I think this is giving away a secret and no matter where you are in the country, but 
I've really found success with calling turkeys in with what I would call like non-conventional turkey sounds. So the scratches, the the drumming sounds, the 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 beating of wings, right? Like I'm I'm constantly pawing at the ground. I might not I'm I'll make some sounds on the box called the, the diaphragm or the you know slate call, no doubt. The trumpet, I love to call them in with the trumpet, but it like clo- for close like that closer sound, like getting the come into that last, you know, 40 yards and getting them in your face. Man, I don't think there's anything better than those non turkey vocals, I guess. So along those lines of, of wisdom that you're sharing, you have new turkey hunters who are listening to this. A huge swath of our base doesn't turkey hunt, but they're getting into turkey hunting. What is your advice to them? Like maybe three pieces of of of, of quick advice to the new turkey hunter. Man, I think this is the, the best single advice you can get as far as calling turkeys. And I'll guess, do you want me to stick these three tips to calling or do you want a turkey hunt? No, whatever, whatever, whatever okay. you want to share. I'll do one calling one and then I'll do two non-calling. The calling one is mimicry. It works with elk. It works with turkey. And if you don't understand the turkey language, the easiest way for you to wrap your head around it is mimicry. And what I mean there is if you hear them spit drum, spit drum back. If you hear them yelp, yelp, cut, yelp, yelp, cut. Right. And a lot of times it just creates aggravation or, you know, whatever it is, it's probably the safest way to bring a bird in consistently. Um, you know, another thing with calling is I think people tend to over volume, like it's for locating them. It's key to get loud, but we talked about being quiet. I think that's key in using those non-traditional sounds. Number one, turkey tip, non-calling related movement. Can't move. Don't move. Don't try it. <laughs> like, tip number one, like find your you know, like what I think it was Fred Bear who said the best camo is non-movement, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's true. Like you can get all the most expensive camo in the world. If you're moving, you're not going to kill anything. So I think, you know, that's probably, probably the biggest turkey tip overall is no movement. You know, we went into a lot of, uh, a lot of calling tips. And then I would say, dude, just have fun. Like so many people like enjoy, enjoy it for what it is. And that's an experience. If you're hanging and, and this is any type of hunting, not just turkey hunting. If you're hanging the success of a hunt on the harvest of a bird, you're looking at it wrong. And if you're out there just beating your head against the wall and all you want to do is kill something, like, dude, just go on a guided hunt or something. I don't know. Um, you, you know, you should find pleasure in sharing the time with a buddy, you know, being being out in the woods in the quiet. My, my favorite thing in the world is to watch the sunrise. Like, just in those moments, soak it in for what it is. When you hear that gobble, I, my hair is standing up even thinking about yeah, a gobble echoing yeah. through the woods right now, but when you hear that sound, like just soak it in, man, that could be a win. That could be your day. Like that could be what wins your day is hearing that gobble. Like it doesn't have to be putting a turkey on a stringer. And we do a really bad job of just glorifying the kill so much on TV shows and social media. That's not what it's about. I mean, that's, what's going to get the most likes and everything, but that's not what matters. It's hard though, right? Because it's the only thing that gets the likes. And so like one of the challenges you have as a content creator is like, if you're trying to go grow a platform, that authenticity that you share is great, but it doesn't get the likes. It doesn't get the subscribes. And if you're trying to grow something, you know, it's this vicious cycle of people only want to see the end game. Oftentimes, I'm not saying there isn't a group of people who don't appreciate it. I know they're there, um, but it's the, it's the slow-mo of the TSS pepper and the bird that hits the highlight reel that gets shared to all the buddies, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. And I mean, on that topic, though, if you did everything for content creation and likes, yeah. you'd be doing weird stuff because that's what gets the most like, like you know, truck on fire. Yeah. And just like letting the turkey attack the decoy and trying to sneak up and grab it. Like that's like 
that's what gets the most likes. And if you based your whole life around trying to get the most likes and did it for content creation, that's what you'd be doing. You wouldn't be hunting them. So, I mean, you, you gotta be in it for the right reasons. And that's the whole point of, I guess that last tip is be in it for the right reasons. Cause you know, you, you should just enjoy it for the whole experience. Hey, funny story. While I was just talking, Bryce texted me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's funny because you hunt like, at least I hunt all these different species and I have different friends that are really into like certain species. Right. So like come, come August mule deer season, I'll be talking with my buddy, Kevin every day, this time of year, like Jordy from struck commander is one of my really good buddies in the industry. Lucas Mashter is another one. Bryce Hensley is another one. Right. So I'm talking to these guys, like this time of year, it's just like every day we're like sending each other pictures. And like, as I was talking to you before the podcast, my buddy from Kansas is sending me trail camera pictures of turkeys. And it's cool. Like that's probably my favorite thing about hunting is the seasonality of it. Right. And how things go out and then come back in. And like, as this new season comes in, I have something else to get excited about. And I have some, a whole nother group of friends to reconnect with. Right. Yeah. It's so much fun. I I like the seasonality of it too, because, but for slightly different reasons, I kind of have this really, I'm really blessed that I have this really core group of people that we all have the exact same interests. And and we kind of, at least very similarly, I think um, I've got uh, maybe four or five really best friends. And I think, only one of them is obsessed with turkeys. Um, the others are kind of in that that realm of, uh, you know, kind of seasonal hunters, and, but, you know, with varying degrees of intensity. And I like the, how the strategy changes. Like, you know, turkeys is so run and gun. It's so just constant, constant, constant. And then deer is this like patience game. It's a mind game in and of its own that it's it's this, uh, you know, constant sit still are you in the right spot having having faith in the plan but also recognizing when the plan's gone awry and you're in the wrong spot and so it's like it's this total and there's no verbal interaction whatsoever it's just completely disappearing instead of being the you know part of something and so um you're right definitely definitely finding that the why behind what you're doing is huge and and i think it is cool whenever you have those people that you can share that anticipation for something different as each season comes yeah and I think the, like one of the biggest important things about understanding like why you're doing something and just appreciating it for what it is, is all of us who have hunted long enough have experienced like a drought or a cold streak. And the more you put it on the pedestal and the more you obsess about it, the worse it's going to go. And yeah. it, seems, it seemed to me that, you know, been hunting since I've been freaking could even walk, man. And it's just like, when you just experience like, just enjoy the experience and just let it be what it is. That's when it's going to come together. So take it off the pedestal. Don't make it about the end result, like of a kill, just enjoy it for what it is. And when you're in the moment, just enjoying it, things are just going to fall in place. At least that's how it's kind of happened for me. So I've got one last question on my list. And then what I've got is uh, a list of rapid fires for you. Sweet. So my question for you, kind of to 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 wrap to wrap up my my prepared questions, Miriams and Rios, how do they act differently as subspecies, in your opinion? I honestly think they're pretty similar in the terms of their behavior. I think just you're going to find them in such different areas. The the Rios are never going to be in crazy topography. They're going to be on the river bottoms. They're going to hunt a lot more like an eastern. Um, Miriams are always going to be on that snow line. Right. <laughs> so you're going to be, it's just, a, you're going to be hunting them in a different area. I, I think their gobbles a little bit different. Tom, if I have to be completely honest, I think a, a, a big old boss, Tom Miriam is more his Jake. He almost sounds like a Jake. gobble. It's more, it's more split out. 
in like one continuous gobble. Um, Jory Summit actually pointed that out to me. We were, we were, uh, Jory Summit from Struck Commander. We were hunting up in South Dakota a couple of years ago. I uh, got on on his first Miriam and we had one just hammer and he almost laughed out loud. Like that's how funny it was to him. He's like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, he's like, and I was like, yeah, man, you know, like, now that you talk about it. And then sure enough, every time I go hunt Rio's now, it's like, wow, that gobble is way different on a Miriam. That's for sure. Yeah. That's that's crazy, man. So the, their behavior and how you pursue them is kind of identical. I mean, with the exception of the the topography changes there, but uh, do you feel like you have to uh, uh, implore different sh- calling strategies for the two birds? Or are you pretty consistent across that? I'd say pretty consistent. I think a, a Miriam is not as keen for a fight as a Rio is. Um, so I think you just kind of keep that in the back of your mind, and you can see that in their structure too. Like, if you kill a true Miriam, it's not going to have spurs. Like I've oh. killed four and a half, I've killed four and a half year old Miriams that, and they're not broke off. They just don't have spurs. Like a half inch spurs giant Miriam. Like they get these, they get long beards, but they're thin and pencily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish I had, I had video where I could kind of, I've got a bunch of them on the wall and stuff. I could show you the differences, but like a true Miriam, super long, thin, pencily beard, no spurs. Like my wife killed the biggest Miriam I've ever seen in my life. Like true Miriam I've ever seen in my life. And the thing has, when they do get long spurs, they hook really hard. They curl down. They don't really stick out. It's more like a, a claw or a talon you'd see on like a cat. Um, hmm. And those, the, the myriad, like she, it's probably a five and a half year old bird. Like this thing's ancient. It had a 12 inch beard for a Miriam. That's unfreaking heard of again, just spindly long and, and, and wiry. And uh, the, I think the spurs measured out at like, it's like an, it's hard to measure them because they curl so much, but it's basically like an inch and a quarter, like unreal long spurs for a Miriam. And then you go shoot a, a Rio that is two years old and it's got like freaking inch and three quarter spurs <laughs> and this big gnarly beard. So they're just different animals, man. That's what makes them a, a subspecies, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So you ready for some rapid fire to close this out? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. All right. Don't think impulsively. Answer. With it. All right, you ready? Red dot or old school bead? Red dot for sure. 410 or 20 gauge? 410. Lead or TSS? TSS. What's your favorite ammo? <sighs> Man, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I'm, think, I'm thinking right. on this one. You got to do gonna, your boy right. I, <laughs> I got it. Favorite ammo, like best performance, Foxtrot, best ammo for the dollar, Kent, no doubt. There you go. What size shot's your favorite? Mix. What mix? Really high number mix, so like a, a seven, eight, nine. Okay. Decoy or no decoy? Decoy. Box call or trumpet? Trumpet. Bearded hen or triple bearded tom? Don't shoot hens no matter what. <laughs> Beards or spurs? Beards. Turkey vest or no vest? Vest. Favorite locator call? Trumpet. Favorite subspecies? Miriam. Favorite state? Colorado. Favorite podcast? Yours. Camo pattern of choice. What is it? Camo pattern of choice. Uh, Camo pattern, first light. Which one? Cypher? Yeah, we'll we'll go. They're both, Fusion and Cypher are both good. I think Fusion's better for the turkey. It's got a little more green in it. Are Super Jake's real? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, And mentality for sure. Have you ever passed a Tom? Yes. Yeah. Favorite turkey book? I think it's called Turkey Callers of America. Okay. And your favorite turkey channel? 
favorite turkey like social channel or like you p- pick what you want i love shrug commander man i, I love I, I just love everything about their their content and, and what they do i think it's really entertaining heck yeah man that's awesome yeah. dude well listen i appreciate you carving out another hour of your time it was great to actually meet you i'm sorry i missed the first yeah. episode uh the good news for you is i'll be in colorado spring of 2024 most likely let's do it so i'll have to get with you my uncle lives out there and uh he's real big into elk hunting he thinks turkey hunting would be something similar and so uh he's kind of like my adopted dad in a lot of ways and so uh my goal is to try and find some lower elevation stuff for him to uh, maybe move into as he gets a little older so uh trying to introduce him to turkey hunting. so i'll probably call you and pick your brain here pretty soon yeah first things first there just start getting points man you and him because in colorado you can get two turkey points a year because there's a fall draw and a spring draw and so by the time you come out here you guys will have four points enough to go uh go hunt some of the lower elevation stuff that's got a lot more birds um last thing man i got a question on your rapid fire questions Mm -hmm. do you have people that like want to shoot bearded hens is that a thing dude if a bearded hen walks out in front of me i'm not gonna lie to you i'm probably gonna shoot that thing Oh man, that kills me. I, I listen. This is one you know of those how, things. This is one of those things. Like, you know, toms get multiple beards, right? Say again. They come from bearded hens. So, it, multiple bearded toms come from bearded hens. So, if you start whacking all the bearded hens, you're never going to have a multiple bearded tom. Don't know that I care. I mean, like, like here's, okay. So, so here, here's here's the here's the honest answer. It's going to come down to that moment. You remember how when you were younger. Maybe in junior high, high school, you were envisioning how the hot chick was going to talk to you one day and you're going to be really smooth and you had like a game plan. Yeah. I went I went into my my 2020 season. I'm going to mow down anything with a beard. The first Jake I see, I'm going to crush him. Literally <laughs> like a week into the season, a Jake walks out and he just stares at me for like a solid five minutes. And I've got the bead on his head. And I kind of peek my head about every 10 seconds to the side. I'm like, that's a Jake. Uh, and i'm like i i said i was gonna do this and and during deer season i told everybody i was like i'm gonna shoot the first six deer i see just just gonna whack and stack and by the third deer i'm after these trophy bucks that i had in this area it was just complete and total 180 so i'm here i am admitting that i'm probably fallible to the fault in this in this instance and the moment a beard and hidden walks out there's gonna be a little logan that pops up and goes don't do it you know so we'll we'll see what comes of it and i will call you the moment uh I, i have that encounter and let you know Dude, I honestly have nothing against people that want to shoot bearded hens. I just think, uh, like, I, I the turkeys I grew up around in Wisconsin, we had a lot of multiple bearded toms, like a lot. Really? And it all came from, there was a, yeah, there was a few bearded hens in our area. And, like, people just didn't shoot hens because they didn't think they could. Like, I guess they just didn't know, like, a bearded hen constituted fair game. And so, yeah, I think that's, I, I can't say scientifically for a fact, but I really feel like they're, they have to be connected. I, I really do think that. So, that's what I'm sticking to, man. I'm not ever shooting a bearded hen because I want to see more multiple bearded toms. That's what, in my brain, that's what's happening. We have a lot of multi multiple bearded toms on a WMA that I hunt, and uh, now it's got me wondering. I'm have to start checking the hens, you know, more frequently with the knockers whenever they're at a distance and just see if they've got a beard because maybe that's maybe that's the case, man. How about albinos? Would you shoot an albino or would you leave it? An albino? Yeah, homie. If it's a if it's a gobbler, it's dead. <laughs> I, 
listen, listen, my buddy Parker, my buddy Parker McDonald shot somebody's 4-H project. He was out in the middle of a WMA <laughs> and, and, and he, he was hunting and he had this group of birds come in and there was like multiple toms and one of them was a white turkey. And it, it was like, it was beautiful. And it came in strutting and he crushed it. And like a week after posting the YouTube video, some dude commented like that was my wife's 4 my daughter's 4-H project that got loose. We live next to that WMA. I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, oh, in any legal bird walks out in front of me, I don't care the circumstances. It's probably dying with maybe the exception of the hen. What's your buddy's name? I'm going to retell that story as long as I live. That is hilarious. Parker McDonald. He's Southern Hunting Podcast. I'll, I'll send you the video. He crushes this white with this white turkey. And I remember when he called me about it and everything. So we never let That's him. Live how, it I can't believe you, the way you put it just had me rolling. <laughs> Somebody's yeah. 4-H project. <laughs> He, he, uh, he, he, we were at a, um, uh, the hunt this past week and he was there and they went and hunted some private land. The guy's like, Hey man, I got some farm turkeys out back. Make sure you don't shoot them. And everybody was like dying laughing when he told us that. Cause we were like, Oh, he's in trouble. He doesn't even know. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Oh man. Well, Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It was a, it was a blast. Absolutely, man.